Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Bleeding Disorders in Female Patients, Emerging Options and Hemostasis, is provided by Omnia Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Novo Nordisk Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Women with bleeding disorders are disproportionately affected uh, compared with men, could you describe the types of issues seen in the OBGYN setting that result from bleeding disorders and their, why they should be important to all of us as practitioners? Sure. So, um, yes, that is true that women are at a disadvantage when, um, when they have a bleeding disorder, only because they have more chances of having bleeding issues uh, throughout the spectrum of their age group. So, um, going from adolescence till they uh, enter menopause. And we see this throughout the spectrum, uh, patients coming in at different stages. So we, um, we depend on um, family practice physicians and uh, pediatricians and gynecologists to send us uh, patients that uh, will, uh, will be deserving to look further. And what I'm trying to um, explain in this slide is how you figure that out, which are the patients that are at most risk of having a bleeding disorder or a diagnosis. So if you look at this questionnaire, it's a very simple, um, and it was uh, Claire Phillip who published this way back in 2011. And you know you cannot administer questionnaires or tools or screening uh, in your office, but this is very easy to do. In your, even your uh, medical assistant can ask this and, and let you know. So how many days does your period last? So nobody should be having periods 10 days or 14 days. That's not normal at all. How uh, do you experience any flooding or gushing during your period? For adolescent girls, I ask them, do you have to get up within, you know, within, in, in your school? You have to leave your, uh, in your class to go and change your pads or tampons. That's not normal. Um, and do you have to change your pads or tampons more than uh, every two hours? So that is also not normal. Then we go on to ask them, have you ever been diagnosed with anemia? So, you know, that, that is directly in relationship to how much bleeding you have. And then from then on, it's about other things that are happening in your life. Do you get easy bruising? Did you have dental extraction? And then that bleeding lasted for days and days and days, which is not normal. And how about other family members? Does your mom have heavy cycles? Does your aunt have heavy cycles? Um, have you had any surgery? Did you... Um, have uh, bleeding problems after surgery. So these go through the variety of uh, you know, life situations which can point towards. And then we go on to pregnancy and so on, so beyond that. So postpartum hemorrhage is what we focus on. You may be surprised to know that uh, women with bleeding disorders tend to have more ovarian cysts. So we want to, um, at, at the onset, figure out which women now need more help from a hematologist and more workup. So you mentioned how common this is and how many patients we may actually encounter that have a bleeding disorder. In the women's health setting, how good are we at identifying women with bleeding disorders and perhaps what could we be, do better? So I guess I led that question yeah. um, because if we need to do something better, then maybe we're not so good, but maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, I, I, statistics show that um, there uh, can, the first diagnosis of a bleeding disorder in a woman, um, so a, as you know, all of these are 
congenital brain disorders, so the, you're born with them, most of them. There are very few acquired. So, so uh, you would assume that the diagnosis is done way before a, a woman reaches the reproductive age group. But that is not true. Um, in fact, we diagnose more women in, uh, around their pregnancies or childbirth with brain disorders than we do earlier on. So this was realized a few years back. So the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology then uh, um, put out a statement that any adolescent female who has heavy menstrual bleeding that um, causes her to have anemia or um, puts her in the hospital because of severe anemia uh, should be screened for a bleeding disorder. And that included von Willebrand's disease because that was the most common brain disorder. You've started to sort of elaborate already about this collaborative approach, but let's turn to the collaborative care for women with bleeding disorders. What are some of the best practices and how should we consider implementing them when we're managing such patients? Hopefully not at the extreme that you've just described. We can yeah. do this and be collaborative before somebody right. ends up in the ICU. So um, a lot of HTCs throughout the country, and Chicago has several as well, uh, will partner with a gynecologist or an adolescent medicine specialist, whoever are seeing these women um, with, who come in with heavy menstrual bleeding. And they partner with a hematologist. And we depend on our GYN colleagues for that as well. In fact, I also have... I have a clinic that is uh, once, once a month. Uh, that is, I do it in the same office as a gynecologist. So I said, I will come to your office, and I will see any primary referral for heavy menstrual bleeding. And the idea here is that we see these patients together because once I see them and I send to the gynecologist or see, uh, the gynecologist sees them and they send them to me, we lose patients in the process um, because people don't keep up appointments or they think their problems are resolved now, so they don't need to go to a second doctor. So we have circumvented that by seeing these patients together, and we call it the HEM-GYN clinic, and um, the patient sees both the physicians, and we talk right away face-to-face, -face and uh, collaboratively care for that patient. And this has made a huge difference. You know, in, not everybody is going to have the combined clinic that I was talking about, right? So um, we um, tell, uh, we, we obviously co collaborate with the GYNs who are far away from us as well. And there are tools to identify who should be um, getting more, uh, more of a workup. So one of such tools is right up on the screen called the PBAC score or pictorial bleeding assessment calendar. And this can be easily administered in the waiting room of a family practice physician or a gynecologist. And this actually pictorially goes through what your uh, product looks like, what your tampon looks like or, or pad looks like. And there is a score assigned to each day of your menstrual cycle. So as you can see, this goes up to eight days because obviously this is looking at uh, heavy cycles. And um, a score of more than 100 on this scale um, is, has an 80% sensitivity and specificity of identifying women who may have a bleeding disorder. And if you add anemia to this, and if you add ferritin to this, so uh, ferritin um, um, being low, and um, um, that increases the sensitivity to more than 90%. So this is a very easy tool. Besides this, we um, empower the women themselves. So now this is the age of um, you know, so, um, social media. So there are a lot of apps that, um, that will track your period. So one of them is called iPeriod. There's an app called Flow. And finally, um, they can go 
to a website. So uh, the National Hemophilia Foundation has a website that is called as Better You Know. So it's betteryouknow.org, and women can go themselves and self-administer a questionnaire. So there is a category of um, uh, men at risk or women at risk. So if you're a woman at risk, you can click on that, and that'll take you through all of these questions and other and resources. They'll actually point, it, point out the hematologist in your area, depending on your zip code, that you can go to to find help, and a gynecologist that may be available as well. So there are a lot of resources that we... That's great. Yeah. So let's, let's turn our attention for a moment in the brief time that we have left and focus a little bit on um, how we treat women with bleeding disorders. And that probably starts with a little bit of a discussion on hemostasis, what we need to know, uh, perhaps a little bit of a refresher course for people, but we'll keep that brief and then perhaps move into some of the current treatments or new and emerging sure. treatments that are available. So, uh, so I won't go into the specifics of uh, the whole cascade, of course, but, uh, but you know, suffice to say that when you have menstruation, you have disruption in the blood vessels integrity, uh, and you need the whole hemostatic system to get back to repair it, to, uh, to resolve it. So you need uh, enough coagulation factors. You need the platelets to be functioning well. And then finally, you also need the lytic system, the fibrinolytic system that we have. So anything is missing, as you can imagine, that blood vessel integrity is not repaired properly. So um, because of that, there can be excessive bleeding. Uh, and uh, it is our job as hematologists to figure out where in that hemostatic system where the defect lies. So um, this is exciting times in hematology and hemostasis because we have a plethora of new treatments that, have, um, that are under, under uh, uh, trials, and some of them are approved. So one example is this on the, on the, on the screen. It's called emsuzumab, and uh, so the MABs have en entered the hematology world as well. This is actually a humanized antibody, so it's a bispecific antibody that identifies factor 9 and factor 10. That's how factor 8 works in the body. So this is not factor 8, but it is an antibody that does the function of factor 8. So that's, that's why it's called a mimetic. And um, it can be given to anybody who has low factor 8 levels. Anybody, uh, women with, who are mild hemophilia or carriers of factor 8 can also get this. And uh, th this has a very long half-life, so four to five weeks. So, and it's subcute. It can be self-administered at home. So this is one of the examples of the newer advances. Uh, this is already FDA approved for uh, women. Uh, for actually, it's not approved for women. It's approved for anybody with hemophilia um, A. Uh, so uh, if you have low levels, so that could include women as well. And then beyond that, um, we there are a variety of therapies that have focused on hemostasis, the balance of hemostasis. So as you can see here. The, the blood that is circulating in our body is, is in a fluid state because there's this fine balance between the bleeding side and the clotting side. And if you have hemophilia or factor eight is missing, suddenly you are having more bleeding. If you have antithrombin deficiency, which is on the other side, so now you have a deficiency of an anticoagulant that is naturally occurring in our body, then you are on the, on the clotting side, so you have more thrombosis. So what if both were to occur, right? So this is what we call as a rebalanced hemostasis. So science has taken us a little bit further. So what if a hemophilia patient also had a low antithrombin level? And this can be achieved via pharmacology. And that drug is already under trials. It's, it's, it's known as fetusaran. 
It is a, currently it's an investigational agent, but it is an RNA interference therapy. That means it uh, goes to the liver and shuts down the production of antithrombin itself to a level that is needed to rebalance this hemostasis. It's a subcute injection. It's in trials currently for patients with hemophilia A or hemophilia B. So it, this is fascinating for us um, because now we are not replacing the missing protein, but we're just making the, altering the blood in a fashion that now your coagulation is fixed, even though we didn't fix the actual problem that was. And then um, beyond that, there's another molecule known as consuzumab, which is made by Novo Nordisk, which is also based on the same rebalancing of hemostasis theory, where the, on, the, on the clotting side, what uh, is being targeted is something called a tissue factor pathway inhibitor. This is also a humanized monoclonal antibody, and it's against a particular domain of the human TFPI or tissue factor pathway inhibitor, and it selectively blocks that, the 10A binding to that. And because of that, the thrombin generation is increased in patients with hemophilia. So basically, again, rebalancing. And lastly, there's uh, a drug called uh, drug which um, targets the activated protein C. And um, this is a APC serpent that similarly rebalances hemostasis and, um, um, you know, causes uh, and makes patients with hemophilia or, or any bleeding disorder to have a com uh, balanced hemostasis. Fascinating and wonderful that we have some emerging technologies to be able to use. As we wrap up our discussion, I just want to revisit the importance of early referral for suspected bleeding disorders um, that we may all be seeing in the women's health care arena, and absolutely teamwork. When uh, gynecologists and family practice uh, physicians and hematologists work together, uh, we can achieve definitely um, much better outcomes. Uh, we don't need women to, have, to be admitted in the ICUs with hemoglobin of 4.4. We can identify them much earlier. We don't, women to have, we don't want women to have endometrial ablation and hysterectomies when they don't uh, need them for um, heavy menstrual bleeding. They, we can do much better with medical therapies. Uh, we can identify these women with, who may have a bleeding disorder much earlier than... Uh, at the time of um, repeated miscarriages or those hemorrhagic cysts that bring them to the emergency departments. So we can do all of this with teamwork and identify them much earlier so that they can be, uh, they can be sent to the correct physicians and they can get a proper workup and treatment for those disorders. So very important message with which uh, we will leave you now. Um, Dr. Ahuja, this has been a very enlightening discussion. I think you've given us much to think about on how to best care for our female patients with bleeding disorders. And thank you so much for joining us today on this very valuable discussion. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Omnia Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Novo Nordisk Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Omnia. Thank you for listening.